This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stefan Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And today we are so excited to be joined by filmmaker, activist, creator, teacher, Gadget Junie Fox. I got really nervous there. <laughs> and I'm so sorry. Welcome to the show. Good morning. I'm happy to be here with you guys visiting this morning. And I'm not going to lie. I am so excited that you're on the show. I kind of already have uh, fangirled a little bit, a little bit too much, <laughs> I know, um, at the beginning. But uh, yeah, we are so excited because just after watching your short film, which is what we're going to talk about in just a minute, it just... It was amazing. Like some of the things that it impact and really opened up the reality of our history or the history of the U.S. and really having a moment to talk about the truth when it comes to whitewashing of mm-hmm. of what even was what we would consider something to celebrate. Um, and yes, I'm already getting way too deep into this. And honestly, as we were looking at having this conversation and watching your short film, it honestly was one of those why have we had you on the show sooner? You've been doing this work and you've been doing some amazing things uh, with your company, with your production company. And I'm like, holy crap, Annie, why hasn't she been on this show? <laughs> so first and foremost, I'm so sad that we haven't, but I'm so glad to be a part to have you on the show. So again, as I'm fangirling, and I do this a lot, thank you so much for coming on. And I'm done. I'm going to stop because I'm blushing now because I'm so excited. (laughs) I know I'm not going to stop. You're right. But before we get into all of that, would you mind introducing yourself to our audience and our listeners and uh, tell a little bit about yourself and your work? Sure. So, Sego, hello. My name is Kajit Juni, which means I make flowers. I am from the community of Akwazasne, which is uh, Mohawk Nation territory um, right on the St. Lawrence River, U.S.-Canada border kind of crossed through our territories a while back. And I am a filmmaker. I'm also a visual artist and uh, was an educator for over 20 years and just recently left that to just pursue filmmaking. And that's why I can sit with you here this morning. I'm not teaching. (laughs) (laughs) We're so glad. (laughs) Yeah. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, Could you tell us how how did you get into filmmaking? What, What made you pursue that path? I think as a visual artist, I like to try everything. So that was one of the things that, you know, I was just experimenting with. And really, I got into it as a teacher. So I was uh, teaching at, at one time at the Akwazasne Freedom School, which is a, a Mohawk immersion school where my own children went here in our community of Akwazasne. So there they teach everything in, in our language, in the Mohawk language. And I was teaching some media classes there. 
So we were doing like clay animations and, you know, making little little short films and stuff like that. And then I, I started teaching at our local high school here at Salmon River and I taught a film class there for many years and just doing a lot of like little film projects just in our community. And then I got into making documentaries and my first documentary came out in 2016, which was uh, Oh Logo Under the Husk. Uh, following um, my daughter and her best friend going through their their fourth year of their rites of passage, and it was something that we had we were able to recover and bring back to our community that had been um, dormant for many generations. So I thought it was really important to document that. So that's kind of my been my path as a filmmaker. Yeah, and um, something you talked about in some of your interviews and obviously the themes of your documentary is just empowering women and empowering young girls, especially at the Native community, and really mm-hmm. understanding who they are. And that seems to be a big part of your Native community as well, which I find so amazing and empowering just from sitting here. Why do you think messages like that are so important? I, I think it's important to do this kind of work because... Indigenous people are very invisible in the media. Uh, you see, you see black people, you see white people, you see Asian people, but you rarely see indigenous people on media, in any kind of media. And then to take that even farther, as a teacher for so many years, uh, I taught Native studies and I taught Native film and I also taught language and arts. It was hard to find um, resources that we were in. And then even when we found resources, a lot of times they weren't accurate because they weren't told from our perspective. That's why I think it's so important for that we have Indigenous storytellers, we have Indigenous filmmakers that are sharing things from our own perspective, like, like doing the inside job of telling a story and understanding, you know, really understanding the nuances and understanding um, the culture and the community and, you know, those are the kind of stories I like to tell. I like to tell it from the inside. Right. As it should be. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I think it's beautifully said because you talk a lot about in your films about having a voice uh, and mm-hmm. making sure that the voice was represented. And I think you did such an amazing job uh, with this film, uh, Without a Whisper. Um, can you talk a little bit about this film? Sure. So... So this film, I started um, thinking about it right after I had finished making Under the Husk. I was actually at a film festival and somebody asked, what's your next project? And I was like, well, I've always wanted to do this film to tell the story of how the Haudenosaunee women influenced the women's rights movement. Because I think for me, it was something that even our own people didn't really know about. You know, I had learned about it at a a history conference probably about 15 years ago. Uh, Sally Roche-Wagner, who's in the film, came to present to the history teachers at this conference. And I was like, what? Mm-hmm. <laughs> Are mm-hmm. women influenced the women's rights movement? I mean, I had never even, uh, haven't, hadn't heard about it. And I thought, you know, our people should know that. And it's something that the world should know. So I started to pursue that. And I had the perfect people to tell that story. I had Sally Roche-Wagner. And then I had our clan mother from our community, uh, Louise Hearn. Who are, who are already good friends. So, you know, it made sense to kind of reflect that history and their friendship and to tell that story through them. You know, it was so beautiful. I loved every moment of them just loving each other and praising mm-hmm. each other's work. I mm-hmm. really had a moment of like, yeah, they understand each other. This is what friendship and allyship really looks like, that mm-hmm. like there's no pomp or, you know, any of those circumstances of like trying to one-up each other or trying to mm-hmm. outdo each other. It was really elevating each other's voices. It was so beautiful to see. And I love how you were able to capture all those intimate friendship moments. Yeah, I think it's, it's for me, they're both really good friends of mine. So <laughs> a lot of times they don't pay attention to us in the room <laughs> when they're doing things. And yeah, mm-hmm. I think that's a good thing. And they're pretty, they're both... Uh, Especially Louise, you never know what's going to come out of her mouth. <laughs> <laughs> She's a powerhouse, I will she say. Like she totally commands a, a room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, can you uh, talk about just the process of of filming this this movie? Well, I followed them around for I think two years filming this, and I kind of had an idea of some of the the things that I wanted to, the messages I wanted to come out in the film. Of course, the story of you know, the relationship of the indigenous women and the, the suffragettes that were, you know, living in Haudenosaunee territory and seeing, 
you know, our women and, you know, the, the status that we had in our communities. Um, so I really wanted to share that story and how, how much Haudenosaunee people have really influenced not just the women's rights movement, but also, you know, the, the whole government system of the United States is built on our system. So democracy comes from Haudenosaunee people and it was adapted by the founding fathers. And, and that's another hidden history that not everybody knows that. So always as a filmmaker, I'm always trying to, while I'm telling the story, I, I also feel like I have to educate people because they've only been told a one-sided story. They've only been told, you know, one perspective of history. So I always have to be mindful of that as I'm creating. Right. Um, honestly, again, when we were talking about your work and researching and, and, and wanting to have you on the show, I honestly had this, duh, a moment of like, of course, of course, the women's rights movement, of course, the foundation of uh, where we stand and our rights, as well as our government was influenced, if not stolen, <laughs> honestly, from the indigenous people who were here before. And not only that, indigenous women who knew how to lead and to care for their family. It was, it was almost like, why it should have been assumed, <laughs> you know, like when you actually said that, like this makes perfect sense. And why haven't we been talking about it more? Yeah. And well, I think there's reasons why we don't talk right. about it, you know? <laughs> right. I mean, and that's part of the problem because even today as we go through so much conversation and I, again, like this was such a bright light to what feels like so much darkness in the U.S. history right now, um, especially when it comes to women's rights, especially when it comes to indigenous rights, I, uh, the ICWA that's coming in uh, in front of the Supreme Court. And that's a whole other conversation we've been having um, outside of that. But we see how when we ignore history slash when we actually try to um, rewrite history and whitewash history, these types of complete downfalls and decimation of uh, people and a community happens. And it's such an odd timing. I don't know. I, maybe it's always this way. I'm getting too deep. I know. But that just feels like we're watching, as you have done such an amazing job in bringing to light some history that should have been talked about from the beginning, to watching people try to cover up history once again and how important it is that we have people from the communities, the uh, Native people, to be able to actually get credit for their work, <laughs> not just shy, to be able to be the ones to say, yeah, we did this, you're welcome, and why are you trying to hide it again? Yeah, it's like trying to invisibilize a whole people. And it's, it's ironic, really, when you think about it, because... Indigenous people are the first people of this, of Turtle Island, right? Right. And, and, and their stories are always being hidden, like, like there was nobody here is, is kind of, you know, the message that, that children are getting in schools these days. You know, this is America and, right. you know, every, everybody's, you know, they, they hide all the history of the Indigenous people. And, and going back to what you were talking about before, about, you know, democracy and the governmental system was something that was adopted by the founding fathers, you know, when they were when they were creating the United States Constitution and the government system. And the one thing that they really left out in that was the women. Right. So they have like they picked up the balance of power, you know, how things work, you know, when we're when we pass our laws is similar to how it works in, you know, with the United States Senate and Congress and the president, you have the checks and balances, but they totally left out the women. They right. couldn't handle it. You know, because their perception of of women that they were bringing over from from Europe was totally different than you know the perception of the indigenous people here on Turtle Island, because the women are central to everything. Right. Well, as the so, clan mother said at the beginning, women are the law, and I love that right. statement. <laughs> that's I was right. like, "That's right." <laughs> that didn't make me go, "Yeah, damn right." <laughs> yeah, and and for me, it's more about like for the women, our our women. You could say the word power, the women had power, but really it was the women had responsibility. Mm -hmm. So our women were the ones that were, were raising all these leaders. So that's why it was the women that were choosing the chiefs, because they were watching those young ones as they were growing up and they were seeing, you know, the qualities that they had. You know, are they generous? You know, are they, are they thinking for the people? Are they thinking for themselves? You know, 
Do they have foresight for the future generations? You know, all of those things, they're watching those young people as they were raising them themselves. So it made sense that it was the clan mothers that, that chose the chiefs because they were the ones that raised them and they were the ones that, you know, understood the qualities that they had. Because our leadership, when they are um, raised up as chiefs, they're, they're in there for life. So my own father um, is, a, is a condoled chief. And it's, it's something, you know, they've seen those qualities in him. And he was, you know, raised up as a chief. And it's not a paid position like the president or like the tribal chiefs or elective system. It's something that they do for the love of the people because it's very hard work to do that. Right. Know, those are all big responsibilities. It's not a popularity contest. You know, it's not, you know, they're not invested in other people's interests. They're invested in the interest of our, you know, the people today and the future generations. And it'd be great if we had more leaders like that. Right. That actually represented the people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that would be lovely to see. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? Shh. Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. As we talk about all of the things within the film and, and the fact that, yes, they came together, it, it was an interesting history, especially as they were talking, you were showing, um, I always forget I'm talking to you, and I'm like, you're the one who created this. <laughs> so, yes, I don't have to re-explain. Sorry, again, fangirling. Um, but the animation you had of talking about the creation of man, um, mm -hmm. uh, the pictures that you put in to show the historical context of what what the uh, conversations were about, it was really amazing to see. It really pulled out a lot of uh, background information. Do you think uh, interweaving styles like that to documentary is important? I think I had to do it um, because... I kind of had to reimagine what it was like for my ancestors when we were still living in longhouses and villages. And, you know, there's no documentation of that. Right. <laughs> so right. I had to reimagine that. And I was fortunate to work with uh, Marion Deleron from Ganawage, uh, who is another um, Mohawk creative. And she's an animator from there and Alex Boya. So the two of them worked together to create all of the animations that were in the film. And I thought it was very important to include uh, creation because right. I think that's where all of that comes from. So for us, you know, we came from, our story starts with a woman 
Mm-hmm. So it was Sky Woman that came here and, you know, created the Turtle Island and and then had twins and they created, you know, the different, different things on the earth. So everything mm-hmm. kind of centers around the women. But from, from a Christian point of view, and I show that in the animation, it starts with Adam and then the woman is created from his rib. She's kind mm-hmm. of a secondary character and then she does something terrible. She does something sinful and then has to suffer forever because of that. And, right. and then... You know, it's it's just totally different, and I wanted to show that that that's where those concepts come from. You know, those ideas about women. And it was such an amazing integral part to the story and the history of why <laughs> women are important parts of the community, uh, which is so often in the U.S. and the Eurocentric ideas left out, um, which is sad in itself. Um, don't mind me; I'm a little jaded. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think the whole idea of women as Secondary characters is ridiculous. <laughs> right. You know, when you think about, you know, the the gifts that women have to be able to bring life is so important. It's not a secondary thing to be able to right. do that. Right. Like literally carrying a child. Like I, I yeah. think it's such an amazing conversation and that the story uh, within your community talking about the woman being here and creating life. And it's just such a beautiful opening to why the matriarch is so important and why it should be respected and as seen as uh, wisdom along the lines of a community. And I think as we were talking about some of the themes of the documentary, of course, there's tons of themes as we already talked about voices and empowerment of women um, and the allyship and friendship. But the fact that they are able to have this conversation about the breakdown of how Again, the Eurocentric ideas really try to cover all of that up. And I know it was just a blip because I this whole film celebrates the culture, and I love that. But you can't ignore the fact that, yes, the whitewashing really decimated the history and tried to hide and or erase um, all of this from being told to begin with and why it is so important that we keep bringing it up. And you said you waited. You had a whole plan in how you were going to release this film. Why uh-huh. do you think that timing was important? Well, I wanted to release it in 2020 because that's the 100th year anniversary of women's suffrage. Um, so we timed it to come out at that time. And and also Sally was doing a lot of work and still is doing a lot of work on covering this story. And she's been talking to, you know, the Washington Post. And, you know, she has a lot of media attention on that. And my hope with this, with this film is it'd be part of a movement to really change the narrative on this story for the future generations so that this story is included in that history. I think that's so important, you know, especially for our young people in our community to know, you know, their own history and their own contributions to the world. And they're not celebrated enough. And, you know, they take history classes here and, and they, they, you know, tiny, tiny bit of information that they'll get about us when they're telling history of this continent. Right, right. Yeah, and I think that's one of the things that really stuck out to me was I loved seeing all these generations of women, first of all. That was amazing. Mm-hmm. But also just this, like, this richness of history that has been lost um, or purposefully left out. And there's a distinction in in the documentary of, like, between who's telling the, the story uh, versus what actually happened in the reality. Um and I know in, in, in one of your interviews, you said, like, this should be in every classroom, like, every age. And I totally agree because mm-hmm. <laughs> it was so powerful and it was so, it was one of those things. And we talk about this a lot on this show where it's so frustrating that it's, like, so late in the game. Like, even you, so late in the game, you learn about this. And it's such, like, a powerful history. And it's where, as you make the point, like, suffragettes were looking at Indigenous women and, like, they had to get that idea from somewhere. And so I'm just, it's like one of those things where I'm like so frustrated that it's like this late that we're having this conversation, but I'm so glad that we're having it. And that, I mean, the documentary is so moving and powerful and beautiful, and I'm so glad that uh, you made it. Thank you. Yeah, I think people really take that for granted today. You know, we're in 2022 and everybody thinks, oh, women have all the rights they want and whatever. But just like 100 years ago, women had no rights. <laughs> right. <laughs> Right. Well, I should say I should say European women had no rights or people that came <laughs> from other countries coming here had no rights because they brought that with them when they came here. All of those 
their worldviews and the, the, their culture and the way they did things where they came from. And so the, the women that came here, um, you know, had no rights politically. Absolutely nobody was running for office, women back then, or had any votes or anything like that. They had no rights financially. If they got married, their the man controlled the purse strings, and they basically became property of the man, you know, mm -hmm. as it says in the in the film. So, so when you think about that, it makes total sense, you know, that they had to get those ideas from somewhere, and they're right. living around indigenous women on Turtle Island who come from cultures where women are highly revered and are on equal footing with the men politically, socially, economically, you know, they're in control of their bodies, they're in control of their property, um, they have status with their clan, and, and actually the clans in our culture, in the Haudenosaunee culture, were matrilineal and the, you know, the identity comes through the women, through the clan. So right. that's passed around through the women's line, which is the opposite of European right. culture, where everything is going through the men, including property. Right. So usually you give you give property to the men, and for us, it's the women that are the ones that are um, caretaking for the land and deciding on land. Right. I loved like the conversation about how forward, like how future forward the community was at that point in time in that they were successful, they were peaceful, there was rarely domestic violence, which I'm like, oh, what was that like? Like <laughs> When you come into what we know now of today and, and the violence that we see against women as it's happened, and it wasn't until literally colonization that the community was set back, essentially, because of the influence of uh, Eurocentric uh, colonization, which is such a sad thing. Like, it was such a peaceful time that could have been an amazing example had it been followed through fully <laughs> instead of partially to the power of white men. Yeah, I found it I found it devastating to think about that because I was, you know, telling the story we're talking about how indigenous women empowered the white women to fight for right. their rights. And at the same time, you know, our rights were being chipped away as women, uh, indigenous women. And I think that was very purposeful. Oh, yeah. You know, if you look in, in some of the history and some of the things I even talked about in the film, um, you know, Christianization and, you know, the worldview is being imposed on our people and boarding schools and what happened in boarding schools, you know, taking taking children away from their mothers and and trying to really get rid of who we are. Right. Is what, you know, the purpose of those schools were. All of that was happening at the same time. So one's, one's going on the incline and the other was going at the decline at the same time, which is pretty ironic when you think about it. I mean, that's the level of white supremacist oppression that we have to have a conversation about, that how this has been a beginning conversation and this has been a thing we've never uh, been able to take the time to get, get the pattern because of the continued whitewashing and erasing of true history, which is more beautiful then we know. That's the other part of that is that there's so many amazing stories that we missed out on because of that, because of all of these uh, outside influences, which was about power and white supremacy and mm -hmm. patriarchal uh, nonsense. <laughs> I'm going to say that, okay. Yeah. Um, but that level that it erased something so beautiful and pure that could have done so much and has done for, like, it continues to do, thank goodness, through your community because you are still upholding it and finding that um, strength to remember those traditions, which is a beautiful thing. I say this as an adopted person who can't figure out my heritage to save my life. But <laughs> and more talk about whitewashing, that's exactly what happened. And it's such a tragic thing to see that that is what happened, and that's what we've missed out out of my 40-something in the years of life, not knowing this true history, which we could have been celebrating, because it is an amazing history that we still don't know that much of. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's true. And we need this in so many other areas. I mean, this is just one story. <laughs> right. But that's the thing. It's like this one story was huge. It's, it's like this minute detail I'm having a moment. I've really had like a moment of crisis <laughs> in discovering your documentary that is like, this is such a, like, not a minute, it's not minute, but it's a big detail to a big, uh, obviously life-changing thing for so many of us that was left out purposefully 
so that it couldn't be given credit to where it was due because we don't want to have anyone get credit outside of those in power. We know this. But the fact that we have missed out for so long on these amazing stories, it just is offensive. And it's, I feel like I have to mourn that, even though I'm, I'm also celebrating because we were able to watch it and you've been able to bring it to light to us. And thank you again, fangirling still. Um, but all of that is such a big part of the conversation that we're missing out on and knowing that in comparison to the other parts of history that we're missing, we don't, I don't know that I'm missing out on. I'm sure I have. That's so frustrating. Like there's so yeah. much more that we are missing out on. Yeah. Because of the continued whitewashing of these conversations. Yeah, we need to rewrite history books <laughs> altogether. I mean, they still they still look pretty much the same as when I was in school. Well, we know the new uh, laws that they're trying to pass, especially down here. So uh, Annie and I are, are in Georgia, so mm-hmm. we are down here in the South, and it's an uphill battle to get accurate accurate history. You know, I grew up in a setting that literally told us that the Civil War was fought about state rights. (laughs) And I'm like, wait, what? What happened? So, you know, when we talk Mm -hmm. about whitewashing of history, it's still a thing. And and again, just talking about how the boarding schools, it really decimated the culture. They tried, I mean, the purpose of it was to try to kill off a culture that was of the native first people of the Americas. And we know that. But today, again, and I keep harping back on it because I think it's so important that we talk about it, not necessarily here, but in general, the uh, you know Indian Child Welfare Act was in place to preserve that because the United States at one point finally was like, oh, yeah, that was bad. We literally was doing a genocide <laughs> for all intended purposes. And maybe we should correct that. And now we're back here again questioning it because that white supremacist power and ideal is rising back up is now seemingly, maybe not rising, maybe it just seems like it to me, but it's seemingly coming back into, hey, let's try that again. That didn't work so well last time. We'll try it again. I think there isn't a family, indigenous family that hasn't been affected by boarding schools. I mean, when I was teaching in high school and I would talk about that in class and we'd, you know, talk about the boarding schools and the history of that and everybody in their family had somebody that had been affected by boarding school and it, it's not just that generation that's affected it. It's intergenerational trauma. Right. So it's something that's passed on and something that was really common um, in my grandmother's time is they were all fluent speakers at that time. Mm. Everybody was a fluent speaker here. And it was, and they would pro- they were prophesizing that there was going to come a time when there's not going to be a lot of language speakers. And at that time, when my grandmother was alive, they it seemed silly. Like it, they couldn't think of it, you know, that that, that mm-hmm. would happen because there were so many speakers at that time. And that's what's going on now because my grandmother's generation um, stopped speaking the language to their children because they didn't want them to be punished when they went to school. And, you know, so so they stopped speaking the language to them. And so we feel that now, you know, like in my own family, my grandmother was a fluent speaker she didn't speak to my mom. My mom didn't speak the language. I learned some language when I was, you know, in the local schools. I had a Mohawk language class for like 40 minutes, and I'm still learning the language. So I can speak somewhat. But my kids went to the Akwesasne Freedom School, and they, three of the four are fluent. That's amazing. And my, my youngest daughter is a teaching adult immersion and is a fluent speaker. She can speak with the elders here and them. Um, you know, really proud of her and all of my kids for their work that they've done and keeping the language going. And that's an ongoing um, struggle for us to do that. Right. And that's a direct result of boarding schools and, you know, a lot of the genocidal practices that have been going on in this country. And it's not just in our community. It's like that all over Turtle Island and right. some are in much worse shape than we are. Some of them don't have any speakers. Right. I think we've talked about that before. Like a lot of the languages completely died off because Mm -hmm. of this and because of the colonization and constant uh, fear of being called out. Yeah. So it's cool in our community. We do have a lot of language revitalization going on. And, you know, it's really important work that we, we keep the language alive for the future generations. Yeah, and that was one of the the things that Samantha and I both loved about this documentary 
that I kind of mentioned earlier was that we saw that. We kind of saw these like multiple generations of women and kind of this dealing with intergenerational trauma and healing. But um, seeing seeing that and seeing younger folks in it kind of trying to reclaim traditions and history and culture or trying to just learn more mm-hmm. about it. And, and seeing that, that was really, really uh, beautiful. Yeah, I think it's important that people see how we are mm-hmm. <laughs> like today. Because, you know, there's still a lot of uh, stereotypes in people's heads of who Indigenous people are. You know, like we're Hollywood Indians still for a lot of people or we're not here. You know, a lot of people think that, you know, we disappeared, but, you know, we're still here. <laughs> and I wanted to I wanted to show that, you know, take you into our community for a little bit and see, you know, what our youth are like or, you know, what, what our community is like today. Yeah. Uh, and and I think that this was such a great moving way to to show that. And uh I know, like you're you're a big you're you're a leader in the the film community. So um do you have anything on the horizon, any other projects you've got planned uh that you can talk about? Yeah, I'm actually in production for two films right now. I left teaching back in June last year so it's been a year now and I still see all my my you know I'm from the community so I still see a lot of the the youth that I used to teach and I'm still involved in teaching in different ways but the films that I'm working on now one of them is a a short documentary that will be on PBS probably in 2024 it's called which means original seeds and it's following um, indigenous women seed savers that are protecting and rematriating a lot of our heirloom seeds. And really the story is like a metaphor for our people. So the same things that these heirloom seeds have gone through, our people have gone through the same things. (laughs) Like kind of going underground for a while and then a lot of these varieties are starting to come back up and be revitalized again. Um, Some of the seeds have, you know, gotten disconnected from their people they've had to relocate and so it's it's following the work of these women and the work that they're doing uh one of them is angie ferguson she's from onondaga and she's been caretaking for a large collection of indigenous heirloom seeds so she 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 was given this collection to to care for and she's been actively planting these seeds and giving them out to indigenous um, farmers to to really keep these seeds going so that they're here for future generations. And, and she will be rematriating a large collection in the spring back to the Diné people out in the Southwest. So that will be also part of the thing. I'll be also documenting that. And, and like, I'm just imagining what that's going to be like for them to be able to, to get those seed relatives back that they haven't seen for a long time and, and to, you know, start planting those again and bringing those back because, you know, with foods, we're so used to, you know, just going to the grocery store and, oh, we have the same kind of tomatoes and, you know, everything's, you know, there's only a few varieties of things that you see in the grocery store, but there is such diversity and beauty in the, in the seeds. And I've been, I've been witnessing that as I've been documenting these ladies Another one of the ladies is uh, on, um, Becky Webster. She's from Oneida, Wisconsin. And you know, as you know, Oneidas are part of the Haudenosaunee and used to live right next to the Mohawks. There's still some that are there, but a lot of them got relocated out to Wisconsin. And then there's more that went out to London, Ontario. And so it's also documenting the history of what happened to our people along with the seeds. So that'll come out, um, I think, in 2024. And then I'm also part of a, a project um, through Neotero, um, doing a project for reciprocity. It's um, in a group of um, filmmakers from around the world that are creating short films. And I think there's eight of us that are in, in there making the film. So I'm doing a film here in my community uh, following a, a very dynamic woman. Her name's Jessica Shenandoah. And she's been bringing back a lot of our land-based knowledge like things that we haven't done for a long time, like uh, making fish leather or um, uh, making mats out of bulrush or things that we stopped doing because they take a lot of time and people, you know, kind of got disconnected. So she's like bringing a lot of that that knowledge back to the community. So I've been documenting her and having a good time doing it too. I just, I, I'm always amazed by these women. 
episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Snag a job is where America goes to hire. With the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, snag a job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position, warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast from Ruby Studio in partnership with Intel. Explore the future of technology that's rapidly evolving our world today with the help of AI. There is still so much work and research needed to fully understand the power and potential of AI. And Intel is at the forefront of implementing AI and revolutionary technology that's changing the world we live in for the better. In each episode, Graham interviews the minds transforming medicine and healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more while pioneering new uses for AI in these spaces. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. There's so much history and information like we were talking about that that's missing. How do you dwindle down what you're going to do? Because it seems like there's a like a vast amount of things like that food stuff. That's fascinating. I know Annie, mm-hmm. she's actually on another podcast called Savor and they do history of food essentially. So I'm, nice. Annie's probably like, whoa, because like, yes. she's talked to me. I'm putting words in your mouth. I'm so sorry. <laughs> about the origination of food and like talking about how the fact that has changed so much. Nothing yep. is as it was. <laughs> yep. So getting yeah. to that part, that's amazing. Yeah, maybe she can have me to talk about that film when it comes out. Yeah. Yes. There's a lot of history that is not known about that as well that you don't learn in schools. Like over 60% of the world's foods came from North and South America, from our people. You know, and, you know, corn and a lot of the, the foods that are that influenced the whole world have come from indigenous people. You know, people think potatoes are Irish. Well, they're not. <laughs> They came from here. Yeah. You know, a lot of a lot of very important foods have come from indigenous people and and we're trying to, you know, save those so that we have those for future generations. You know, every every community has a relationship with their foods. And there's a lot of um foods that are sacred to indigenous people that we need to protect. Yeah, I would love to have you on to talk about that. But I mean, there's just so much history. I think sometimes a lot of us, like you said, just go to the grocery store and I'm like, I want this. And you don't think about how it got to you. Mm -hmm. And you should. You absolutely should. Because it's so important. There's so much history behind it. And I think a lot of the kind of Americanization of food became much more like, how can we breed whatever XYZ to be fast and quick. And then so much was lost that way. Like so much taste was lost that way. So much of the tradition and the kind of just respect for food itself, like how it comes to be and who makes it. And uh, so I I just think that's incredibly important. (laughs) I I think that's one of the main points is uh, that the world that we live in is is always pushing us to be fast and quick. Mm Mm-hmm. 
And, and with our, you know, with our foods, like even today in our community, we have a strong relationship for our foods and we have ceremonies for our foods. So in the springtime, you know, when the leaves are really small, we'll, we'll have uh, the leaves are just starting to come out. We have ceremony for our seeds and we sing to our seeds that we're going to plant. So we're letting them know that it's time, you know, it's time we're going to plant them and they're going to grow and that they're going to help sustain the people. And so we have ceremony for these seeds. So we take that time to, to give them that respect and to, to honor them in that way. And that's so different than, than just going to the store and picking something up and, you know, not really kind of being mindless about, you know, what, what you're consuming. And, you know, we really don't think about, you know, if you're not growing it yourself, where does it come from? Mm-hmm. What's on it? Mm-hmm. What it, it, are people putting love into this food that they're that you're putting in your mouth? And it, and it seems like we've become disconnected from that, and we need to reconnect. And that's one of the reasons, you know, why I'm making that film is because I think it's so important that we reconnect to our relatives. You know, it's not just about humans. We're related to everything that's on the earth, and we need to pick those relationships back up if we're going to have something in the future for our great, great, great grandkids. You know, we want to have water for them. We want to have food for them. And if we need to build those relationships in order to do that. And it comes back to every time we talk about climate change, every time we talk about land preservation or trying to just survival in general, is always indigenous people who are at the forefront uh, in these battles. And they're the first ones who tell us, this is about to go bad. You're about, yeah. We're about to be screwed. <laughs> Please listen. What happens with indigenous people that are protecting the earth is they kind of get demonized they in do. the media. So people got to think about that when they're seeing this in the media. Those are the people that are trying to protect our earth for the future generations. And, you know, the the biodiversity, you know, around the world, 80% of biodiversity is protected by indigenous people. Yeah. That's astounding when you think about it. It really, it's shocking. (laughs) So I think if you want the earth to be protected, give more land back to the indigenous people. (laughs) Right. They'll protect it. (laughs) <laughs> hey, I'm down for it. Let's do this. Um, but, you know, I, I had to ask the question and then I got sidetracked because the food stuff was so amazing. Mm-hmm. And I'm excited about this. But how do you dwindle down to be like, okay, this is what I'm going to do my film on this time? Because there's so much, like I said, untapped uh, history that you're digging into. How do you decide on those? It, it calls me. So w- whatever the story that I'm, that I'm, that's meant to come through me will call me and I'll know it. It'll tug at me. Mm. So I, I have to do it. That's how I know. Yeah. Well, how, yeah. I know this is going to be one of those, like, tell me, because I need to know, because you do have these connections when you have these films, like the beauty. I, we only watch clips of Under the Husk, and, like, it's a connection. You're trying to delve into the fact that you're going back to the heritage and, and your children and, and then the generations to come and digging back and holding on to that heritage to, uh, without a whisper, talking about the actual history of it and how strong the tribal women were and the matriarch is in this community. What is that feeling? Is it just, yes, I got to tell this story or is it just, because you have a connection that it, it makes these films. Yeah. I don't know. I am an artist. So besides doing <laughs> filmmaking, I'm also a visual artist and it feels the same to me. Like when I'm making pottery, I do pottery as well. I have, I have this idea that starts and it just, it just wants to come through. So I just work on it until it comes through. So it's the same with these stories and it'll be something that I'll see different things. And, and it's, I don't know, I guess I'm guided to do these. That's, that's a better yeah. way to put it. Yeah, and it's gorgeous. So it's like, I saw your pottery too. It's they're gorgeous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I it's not just me. These these messages are coming from the ancestors. You know, there's. I think about my ancestors and the things that they were not able to do because they mm-hmm. were so oppressed. You know, and right. they were going through so many you know different traumas throughout history. And we're at a time right now where where we can do this. We can, we have the time, we have the resources to be able to tell these stories and, and we need to do it. Right. Um, and it's beautiful, I will say. What are some of the things that you would say to future filmmakers who 
want to share stories in their voices? What would be some advice that you would give to them? I think it's important to have good allies in filmmaking too. And like for me as a filmmaker in this community of Akwazasne, there's not a lot of filmmakers here. And so in order for me to learn more, I have to reach out to other communities, to other cities, um, do a lot of networking. Um, You know, I've been fortunate with my films. I've been uh, uh, connected with Vision Maker Media and they've funded my last three films. And I've I've made a lot of connections through them. Um, Also through my distributor, Women Make Movies. Uh, they've done a good job of distributing my films and, you know, connecting me to doing screenings and, you know, to film festivals and different things like that. So all of those things, it's important to to connect with other people that are in the industry, but always to remain true to your voice. You know, that's one thing that's that can be a challenge sometimes, you know, as a uh, kind of an isolated filmmaker is um, sometimes you'll get other people, you know, trying to change the story you're trying to tell. So you always got to go back to that and to, you know, remain true to your own story. That's why I like to be the director producer because I don't like anybody (laughs) bossing me around. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I love it. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you so much for for taking the time and joining us. Obviously, we're big fans uh, (laughs) of yours and we'll be watching what you do. Uh, Can you tell the listeners where they can find your work and where they can connect with you? Sure. So Women Make Movies distributes my films, so you can look them up. Um, I also have a webpage. It's called tutoroproductions.org. It just has, you know, a bio and some of the films I've been involved with lately. So, yeah, check me out. Yeah. Yes. So we found your uh, your documentary on PBS. So if anybody wants to look that up, it is available there, and it's a must-watch for all of our listeners. Yeah, try to get these films in the classrooms. That's where I really want to see Absolutely. them. So if you're a teacher listening out there, you can you can order them for your school. Yes. So women make movies. Yes, do that, do that. Um, well, thank you, thank you again for being here. Uh, hopefully we'll have you back again one day because this was a delight. <laughs> Please come back on. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yes, yes, yes. Um, and listeners, if you would like to reach out to us, you can. Our email is stuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at Momstuff Podcast or on Instagram at Stuff I Never Told You. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Christina. Thank you, Christina. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff I Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can check out the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. What kind of fun is waiting for you at Kings Island? The holy cow, we're way too high and here comes the drop kind of fun. The make a splash all summer kind of fun. The I can't believe I ate that whole funnel cake. Let's get another kind of fun. But most importantly, at Kings Island, you'll find for the fun of it kind of fun. Don't wait to start your fun season. Kings Island is now open on weekends. The wait is almost over. Get ready for the 2024 NFL season as the full schedule is announced. Every rivalry, every rematch, every rookie debut. Every game revealed. The 2024 NFL schedule release presented by Verizon coming in May. Live on NFL Network, ESPN2, and streaming on NFL+. Terms and conditions apply to NFL+. Visit nfl.com slash schedule release to learn more.